I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. Places, everyone, it's time for The Connor and Smith Show! Thank you, Places. So late, thank you, but okay. Um, so today we're talking to Ashley Goff, who is the minister of the Arlington Presbyterian Church on Columbia Pike in the Gilliam Place building. It's a fascinating conversation about religion and pride and being gay and also being religious. And uh, I'm here for that conversation. I, I loved the conversation. Um, full disclosure, I also just got back. Oh, there's Eddie. Thank you, Eddie. Grace is Eddie. I just got back from uh, seeing Always Patsy Cline with Kenesha Williams as Patsy Cline and Aaron. Um, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I was looking at Eddie is humping fire. Eddie, now. stop. Aaron Grandfield as uh, Louise Seeger. Um, it was a great show. I have to say, Matthew, you and Refi did a great job, and Margie, and everyone on the Creative Cauldron team. It was a fantastic show. It's the first live show I've seen back in a year and a half, and it was very moving and very well done. Um, so, uh, if you want to see that show, I think you've got, like, you can go see it tonight. Uh, and next weekend, and that's it. But check out Always Patsy Klein at uh, creativecauldron.org. You can get tickets. Wonderful. Whoever you see, it's going to be wonderful. Uh, Kenesha was fantastic tonight. Um, so we're going to take a break real quick, and then we'll be back with Ashley Goff to talk about pride and religion and all the intersections in between. Yep. So we'll be right back. Thank you. Hi, it's Ashley. Hey, Ashley, it's Steven. Hi, Steven. This Hi, is fun. Ashley, it's Matt. Hi, Matt. Happy oh. anniversary. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I saw you your yacht. I saw the yacht picture on Facebook. Oh, my gosh. That's a whole nother, That's a whole podcast to itself, that yacht experience. <laughs> Definitely not our yacht. <laughs> Yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah why, are, why aren't we on a yacht recording this? Like I, that? Well, that's a good question, actually. <laughs> um, our, our ship has sailed. Oh. <laughs> actually, I'm journeying on an emotional yacht. <laughs> I feel like I am a sea. <laughs> that's pretty great. It's better than like an emotional buoy or something like that. Right, right. An emotional raft. Yeah. <laughs> So, Ashley, um, I met you through, uh, you're the pastor of the Arlington Presbyterian Church. Yep. And I met you when the church opened its doors for its, um, I guess, initial open uh, commemoration, right? Yeah, I think it was the, uh, it was the ribbon cutting for Gilliam Place. Yep. yep. What is Gideon Place? Gilliam. Gilliam. What's, what, what is that? 
Well, Gilliam Place is the 173-unit affordable housing apartment building located in South Arlington that was co-created by APC and Arlington Partnership for Affordable Housing. Did you have that prepared? <laughs> Say it every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gilliam Place is where La Cucina and the church, and for those of you who don't know, it's um, right next to the Wendy's, uh, believe in Columbia Pike. Uh, and the, the broiler. And the broiler. Yep. The the newly renovated uh, bougie Wendy's. I mean, that's I, been hopping ever yeah. since. So this was an amazing like partnership idea to how to help the community with all of these this one idea. Yeah. So um, so this happened. I've been at I've been at APC Arlington Presbyterian since 2018. So uh, my joke is that I came in at ribbon cutting, but. Um, it was about a ten. It was about a ten-year process for APC to get to the point of creating Gillian Place with APA. And what they were discerning was, who who are we? Um, what is our faith calling us to do? What is God calling us to do? How do we want to show up as a neighbor in South Arlington? And they went out and started talking to the neighbors along Columbia Pike, and. They rode the buses and they set up tables like in the church parking lot to talk to people. And they walked up and down Columbia Pike. And the common thread was that people couldn't afford to live and work in Arlington County. And so they'll say that that broke their hearts and that they felt called by God to do something about the affordable housing crisis in, in the county. And the phrase that I love the most that was said at a public hearing is the, the call from God to to do something about affordable housing was bigger than the previous building itself. So the building had to go. And so the building, the building went in 2016, uh, APA purchased and demolished the building. And in, um, in 2000, it was right before the pandemic. What was it 2019? I don't even know anymore. Um, that fall, uh, at least our, our current build out was complete. The apartment building was, had been completed about six months prior but we did our own build out on the entry level to maintain the commitment to the crisis and the affordable housing crisis and to be in community and with our neighbors in Gillian Place. And then La Cocina, which is a cafe and does social entrepreneurial work around um, food and culinary um, employment, uh, they opened last October. So all three of us are at 918 South Lincoln Street. Yeah, it's very exciting. The The building itself, I, I feel like, has a sense of, like, it's a living, breathing building. Oh. You know? Um, just, just from the fact that, the, like, the mission of La Cucina mm -hmm. is to empower and to uh, teach and pass on knowledge and, and prop people up to places where they can develop their own kind of businesses. And the church is just such a wonderful, uh, accepting, welcoming atmosphere. Mm. Um, so fun fact, we were married by Presbyterian minister. That's great. Eight years ago today. Oh, um, that's beautiful. He's also a captain of a boat. Um, <laughs> and not the boat we were on, but a different boat. And mm -hmm. not, not only because he's Presbyterian minister, but... Uh, because he's a captain, of course, he can marry, he could marry us. At the time, it was not legal in Virginia. Mm. Um, so we were legally married in DC on the, the Potomac. And then oh, love that. We, we had like a party at Signature on June 10th, 
so just shortly after that, um, we had an intimate gathering for 300 people. I was yeah. going to say that must have been quite a bash. <laughs> it was, um, but I, I remember, and so I grew up. Full disclosure, uh, my uh, I was raised Catholic, and then we switched to Methodism. Mm -hmm. um, Matthew, you were raised a little more extremely, right? Uh, I was raised Church of the Brethren. Okay. Yeah. Where, like, the... are you familiar with the Church of the Brethren? Um, a little bit. I mean, in the sense of they're the, um, you know, you're a pacifist church, um, along with the 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 Menos, the Mennonites, Amish. So, kind yeah, of we we definitely felt like we were somewhere between Quaker and uh, a pilgrim getting off the boat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. At one time. Growing up, uh, the women sat on one side of the church and the men sat on the other. Wow. And of course, women did not wear pants, makeup, or cut their hair. Mm -hmm. And they were not allowed to speak or participate in anything. Wow. That all, that all slowly changed, of course. But, you know, I think if I, if I really wanted to talk about, like, uh, the, the growth of a spiritual person and an and a institution in a community is that, you know, I think you would agree some people add commas to their life in learning and exploring and growing. And then there's other sort of organizations and people who just add a very clear period. We are done talking about this. Yeah. And I definitely was brought up in a world with many periods and then sort of journeyed into a life adding many commas, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. Um, so were you always Presbyterian? No, actually I grew up um, in a denomination called the United Church of Christ, which is another, a, a little bit smaller than the Presbyterian PCUSA, but it's still a mainline uh, uh, Protestant denomination. I was actually ordained in the United Church of Christ um, and, and still am ordained in the UC, what's called the UCC. And so I'm what's called serving a Presbyterian church. And that, that happened many years ago, what's called a, a full communion agreement between several denominations in order for us to kind of cross pollinate, <laughs> um, with each other, which is, which has been a great thing. Um, but I, I grew up in a UCC church in, uh, I grew up right, I grew up right outside Columbus, Ohio in a suburb called Upper Arlington. And, the church that I went to was a really big, it was probably 2,000 people, which is a huge, I mean, it's a big church. It's also, that's a really big church for a UCC church. Um, and I was a pretty sh uh, shy kid. And so being in a big church with, you know, 80 people in the youth group, and it was a very, it reflected the demographics of my community. So it was very white, very bougie, uh, very wealthy. And I never really found my place. I never had, there was one female minister growing up and she was there. And then all of a sudden she wasn't. <laughs> um, so I never, I never saw anyone like me leading. And I never thought of being a pastor. No one ever said like, oh, this is something you should think about. Um, you know, church was kind of this thing that we did uh, as a family. At least that, that was my experience. Um, so it really, it wasn't until college when I stumbled upon an, an, what turned out to be an ethics course. My, my roommate told me I should take, I went to Denison University um, right outside Columbus and 
my roommate told me you should take this class. Uh, it's, you know, it's not hard. The, the professor is really fair and it fulfills this, you know, requirement for our, for our general education, liberal arts. And so I did, and it ended up being a Christian, a feminist Christian ethics class. And I, it just blew my mind in the sense that what I was learning which isn't a new thing, but it was new to me, was that there's a foundation for thinking, right? There's a, there's a method to how we think and we are either conscious of that or not. And so the building blocks for our decisions, uh, you know, need to be intentional in order for the actual. So I, I really just loved this class and the teacher was, Dr. Novak was feminist, pagan, queer, androgynous. I mean, she just like hit all these really amazing identities. And I just learned a ton from her. Um, and I was really discovering, like, as you're supposed to in college, that I had my own voice, I had my own thoughts. And those turned out to be a lot different than my family and, um, and the community that I was growing up in. And that brought a lot of tension. Uh, my, my parents, my family were uh, kind of Ronald Reagan Republicans. My family grew up uh, Southern Ohio, pretty conservative. So yeah, so I was just discovering this whole new way of thinking and this whole new way of being and became a religion major just because I love the thought process, not because I was, you know, I felt like I was really expanding my faith or um, my, you know, I felt like my, you know, this relationship with God was kind of becoming, is more like I was, I was becoming. And, and that was the first step. Um, I went to Atlanta, Georgia after that to do what's called the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, which is like a domestic peace corps program run by the Jesuits, which is a very um, uh, progressive uh, order of the Catholic Church and was there the year before the Olympics um, and saw a lot of displacement and really horrible things happening to uh, poor communities in Atlanta uh, in the name and the spirit of the Olympics. And then stumbled upon a, a really amazing worshiping community that really kind of guided me through my own um, kind of ongoing, you know, consciousness raising really around, you know, liberation theology, black theology, feminist theology, and, and then eventually made my way to Union Seminary in New York. Um, and which is kind of one of the key places that academically has been a place for feminist black and queer theology. Um, so that's where I really kind of, that's when I got on the ordination track. I was uh, working with women in uh, the jails, uh, the borough jails, each borough in New York has a, or at least New York City jail. Um, so I was working with women there. I was working with women at Bedford Maximum Security Prison for Women. I was working in a congregation in order to do that. And I just love this merger of being part of people's lives on a daily basis in a really intimate way and then doing this kind of broader justice work. Um, so that is kind of the condensed version, but this is this was not the plan. <laughs> this was not the, the plan was Dr. Lawyer Banker, right? Um, uh -huh. um, and particularly within a particular worldview and and that this is that is not how it went, how it's gone. Well, it sounds like to me that you are kind of a minister uh, a minister with a focus in doctoring, lawyering, and also banking with helping the community figure out those things. 
In a way, you mean like how to be the be those types? Or just, you know, how to figure out your banking is actually helping people without uh, those without money or or resources to help find those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it turns out that, you know, I walked into a pretty amazing money story, you know, where a community leveraged their assets, which was land and property and turned it into, you know, transformed it into an an affordable housing apartment building. Um, Yeah. So there is this, you know, this healing aspect. There is law has its own way of interpretation and that's part of my work and yeah there we're, we're in this pretty amazing money story at at apc now we're at a place right now in in american history where june has sort of become pride month mm-hmm. and you have your own way of celebrating pride month with your congregation yeah i mean i think we're well Actually, the congregation I was part of, Church of the Pilgrims, but before I got to uh, Arlington Presbyterian, Church of the Pilgrims is in D.C., and it was at the start, it's at 22nd and P., which is the starting point for the Pride Parade, or at least in the before time. <laughs> um, and so Pride at that church was like Christmas. <laughs> it was like all hands on deck, bathrooms are open, you know, 2000 people coming through the doors. Um, my favorite quote was from someone who walked in and they're like, God, I've never been in a church with such few clothes on. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, right. I mean, it was amazing. It was a uh, type of public expression, you know, which, which started before that, but that just really solidified the commitment and the witness um, to to celebrate and you know and to push and and to proclaim you know there's such a crappy narrative that is just dominated by white evangelicals um, of exclusion and hurt and and even violence around the queer community and so to be part of an expression that is was so joyful and so doors flung open was really really transformative for me. And so um, APC is also um, what's called a, a More Light Presbyterian Church. And the More Light Presbyterian Church has started in, um, they took its name, uh, it was in the late 90s. But throughout, I mean, it wasn't until 2011 where in the Presbyterian Church where you could be out and ordained. And so more lights have done a lot of uh, what, what would be called ecclesiastical disobedience to push for the inclusion of LGBTQ plus people in, in church and society. And so Arlington Presbyterian became a more light church after I arrived. And I asked, like, why aren't we a more light church? <laughs> but that means we take on this particular identity, a public witness, along with hundreds of other more light churches across the U.S., that we do this intentional work to to be welcoming and work for the full participation of LGBTQ plus people. So last year would have been our first pride in our new space. And that got, pride took on a different form right. last year and is still in a different shape this year. But um, it's our intention, you know, we are gonna get a new banner up. That, I mean, we have one currently up that says proud. So we're getting a new one cause it's a little faded um, and you know, then we have a railing out front, which I've just been eye spying since we opened. I'm like, I'm going to wrap that in some fabric. So we got a bunch of rain, red, orange, yellow fabric, and we're going to, you know, make our railing a giant rainbow. Um, so that's the project, one of our fun projects this week. So I have to tell you that 
we live um, we live in Fairlington, kind of across from the Arlington Methodist Church. Yeah. Um, and it's only in the past few years, really, I think, that I've noticed, like, they have put up rainbow flags and stuff saying, you know, happy pride and seeing, like, your church put, you know, things in the window. It is very, um, it, it's very meaningful oh. when, when you see that. Because especially... Uh, you know, I think Matthew and I had both have a background of being very involved in our churches when we were younger, but the exclusion that you feel uh, as an adult gay man or woman or trans or whatever, it's palpable. And, and it, it feels like, oh, I used to do that. That was fun. Mm. And then but I can't do that now, you know, mm. which which is not the case. But just even seeing the evidence is almost like Oh, I would be welcomed there. It's it's quite meaningful. Oh, yeah. I mean, so you know, you and you have to be, you know, so you know. And I've heard this. You know, well, what's the point of being more light? You know, taking on. You know, and the Methodists have their own. They're reconciled, right? They're all. Each denomination has their own, um, in, open and affirming kind of identity. And you know, you hear a lot of times. Well, we're welcoming. Why do we have to make? why do we have to make a fuss about it? Why don't we, you know, and, and for me, the point is that people have been so damaged by the church and you can't, when you've been damaged, when there's been such much, so much hurt that stays with you, right? This is not, you know, we know that things that happen, I mean, in our, in our early childhood stay with us through the rest of our lives and the, and our experiences with the church are similar. And so you got to be really clear about who you are in order, you know, so if someone, you know, so someone doesn't have to guess, they don't have to guess, like, or think about, guys, so am I going to, is someone going to hurt me when I come in here? Is someone going to say something crappy? Is someone, am I just not going to be wanted right away? Um, am I going to walk in and just feel shame and judgment? You shouldn't have to guess. <laughs> and so you drape your church in a rainbow <laughs> and you do the internal work of, you know, of, um, you know, you do your anti-racism, you do your anti-bias, you do all that type of internal work too. But you gotta, you gotta be really clear about who you are public-wise, in in order to make that choice. Um, more, you know, so someone has more of a sense of agency about where they're going and where they're walking into, and um, rather than wondering and guessing. Right. It goes right back to your beautiful class you took with your beautiful teacher about a very purposed thought yeah, and a purposed life because I can't assume that all of my friends think I love them. I have to tell them and show them I love them so they know and feel yeah. that I love them. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's a very unpurposed thought to feel like, oh, I don't have to really do anything to make that person know I love them. Well, then it becomes nothing, it becomes a very unpurposed life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of power in that too, right? To have to guess, uh, you know, and when you're an individual walking into a community, you, that's a lot of power for a community to hold, to have to have someone wonder and think about and worry. And, and that and that in itself, is, that's an equity issue, right? So, you know, so when Arlington Presbyterian was, when we were doing our build out, of our new space in Gilliam, you know, you want to talk about like obsession of intention and details. <laughs> that was like, right. I mean, we just went to town on 
imagining the best we could about the, the bodies that would walk into our space, right? So what's the first thing you see when you walk into the space, right? What's what's the next thing that you see? And how do you know that your body is welcome in space? Because your body knows when it when it's not welcome, right? We, we know that in our own self because we've been in those places. But, you know, so that means we have four single-use bathrooms, right? That was the, one of the first things on the agenda with the build out is you have, I mean, you do a build out these days and you do single use bathrooms, but that was for, we are, we are anticipating that our trans and non-binary friends will come into APC for various reasons. And that single use bathrooms are a way of, of making a commitment and, and, and expressing a theology, a, a way of talking about God. Um, we have these. Our, we have a theology of chairs. <laughs> so the chairs in our worship space, uh, you know, there's no pews. Those days are over. Um, so they're all stackable chairs, but they're they're, um, they're gray and blue and brown, and there's some black in the chair. And so the intention was not to have a chair of two colors, not to have a binary chair. Ideally, I'd like to have 80 different chairs, but we need we want to be able to stack them because the room's not that big. So, so that wasn't going to work. Um, but we but we have chairs that are non-binary. Uh, we have chairs that are a bit different sizes for different size bodies. So the idea is you come and you sit in your essence, right? So how does even the furniture express what we believe? what we trust in um, and, and how we want to express ourselves in, in this time and place. That I, I, I mean, that just is staggering the amount of care that was taken and put into that. And I, I think you're right. Like in the future, single use bathrooms are just going to be the way to go in general. Um, Turns out everybody wins with a single use, the parent with a kid, the yep. person with a caregiver, you yep. know, like, Everybody, Absolutely. everybody wins with within this stuff. I so. mean, I there's uh, stopping at rest stops now feels like barbaric. <laughs> I have to pee standing next to a stranger. No, we all want That's privacy. Everyone. Terrible. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you got to APC like right at the <laughs> perfect timing. I did. <laughs> um, but yet the challenge of the pandemic um, was not far behind. Yeah. So like literally several months. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so you, you kind of switch gears and your, your service is now online. Yep. Um, so how, what, when did the APC shut down? When did you start doing the online services? Like what's that time frame? Yeah. Well, it was, I mean, I forget the date, but it was, you know, it was that one week where everything started to shut down. I mean, like March Madness. The, the 13th of March. Around yeah. There. And we had already scheduled with our, our session is the name of our governing body for our, you know, our, our church folks. We already had a session meeting on, it was that Thursday. And I, I was just watching the week progress. Like, oh, we should probably talk about COVID and like next steps. And we'd already talked like, we had already, you know, busted out the hand sanitizer and all done extra cleaning, but it was that week that everything just like seemed like the shit just hit the. Mm -hmm. And so that Thursday night, I mean, it was clear um, at the meeting that we can't, we cannot show up. Like as neighbors, we can't. You know, if if our mandate is to care for the neighbor, 
then we can't show up together, even though we had no idea what we were entering into. It was pretty clear. And so it was that Sunday. I mean, it was Thursday. We said we're going virtual and, you know, oh, we'll be here for a few weeks. Um, and <laughs> four weeks to stop the spread. Yeah, <laughs> like maybe June. Um, and we hopped on Facebook Live on that Sunday because that was the easiest kind of portal for us at that time because, you know, we're only going to be there a few weeks. So um, and thankfully, Abby Madden, our minister of music, is is pretty savvy with with the tech. And we were able to. I mean, I think at that point we were just doing our camera on our, you know, one of our Macs. Um, and I mean, we've been, so we've been virtual ever since. And that was a real commitment to the neighbor that we did not want to put our own selves at risk of getting somebody sick, which churches have. And that's just absolutely horrifying to me. Um, but we, this is how we want to show up as a neighbor is that we're going to be really careful and really safe and we're going to follow science. That was really clear too. We're following the science where we were not going to follow the previous administration. That was, well, I mean, given, but, um, that, yeah, so this was part of, you know, again, back to that public witness going virtual and, um, doing something we really, really didn't want to do, but we knew we had to for safety and, and to be caring. Um, that's what, that's what. That was so we've been we've been virtual ever since, and we're, we're you know we're we're we've got a little plant we're planning transition back we're going to start in our garden we have a, a twelve thousand square foot kind of restorative garden right next to the apartment building and we'll start there because it feels safer and um, less likely for one of us to have a panic attack <laughs> if we showed up back inside all of a sudden so uh, but that'll be a nice uh, that'll be a nice gentle way of kind of returning to each other that's so smart actually mm. um because everything's going to be outdoors for a while because it just it makes sense we're you know it's summer so it's nice we can do that we hope that the vaccination rates you know just keep increasing that by october you know yeah there's some sense of a little more uh, herd immunity reached um that Oh, Ashley, that that horrified me. All those churches that were like, we're bathed in the blood of Jesus. Nope. We, we are protected. No, nope. I mean, you know, my mom and I would, were talking one night. She was like, you know, God also gave you a brain. Totally. And <laughs> you have to use it. Um, it's reckless. It's really, really reckless. And it's really, I mean, honestly, it's really selfish. Like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know how you're. Well, I mean, I can go on and on, but it, it's a, it's a, those are very reckless decisions as far as I'm theologically and just in person. Um, so yeah, mm -hmm. the big, you know, we, we know the big issue is singing, you know, as, as musical folks singing inside is, is still, you know, we still need to get a little more, uh, we need to get a 70% vaccination rate in order to sing inside and um, safely. So, you know, that's the, that's what we're working towards. So. so there's a little story that we probably all know, but I'm just going to uh, repeat it for our listeners if they haven't heard this story. This little guy, well, I don't know if he was little, a guy. Maybe he was a woman. Maybe he was just a person. He's on top of a mountain, and it, it is flooded, and he is waiting to be saved by God. And a boat comes by and says, hey, hop on. He says, no, I'm waiting for God to save me. Mm. The guy leaves. Second boat comes by and says, hey, hop on the boat. And he says, no, I'm waiting for my God to save me. And then finally a third boat comes. And of course, he says, no, I'm, I'm going to wait for God. God's going to save me. And the guy ends up drowning and going to heaven. And uh, he says, why didn't you save me, God? And God says, I sent three boats. Yeah. 
right? And that's and that's so important. I think a lot of people forget that you know our 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 earthly experience is not about um, waiting always for some lightning to strike. It, it is just very a, a simple thought process of. Um, how do we take care of ourselves? How do we take care of each other? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and also like, well, what do you think God was going to look like? <laughs> right. You know, it turns out in that moment, you know, the incarnate was was right there in a boat, uh, you know, which gets to all these other bigger issues. But like, you know, the assumptions that we have, right, about what is sacred and what is holy. And you, you, you know, you get trapped in a little box. Turns out God doesn't exist in a box. Um, or just God doesn't exist in just a skinny body or a white body or a straight body that, you know, God is showing up in all types of, of shapes and sizes and, and colors and ways. And if you, if you block yourself in, you, you miss, you, <laughs> at least in that story, uh, you lose your life. Um, well, you, you know, Ashley, when I was a little kid, I was that guy in Bible study that would raise my hand and say, um, wasn't there a war in heaven? Mm. And they would say, yes, Matthew, yes, there was. And I'd say, why are we trying to go there? <laughs> and they didn't know what to do with my sort of weirdly young, profound questions of like, wait, this isn't quite adding up to what we're trying to talk about. <laughs> yes. You're off the agenda, little man. You're off the agenda. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not the I- script. <laughs> I, I remember a beautiful moment with God rest my my father who passed away two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I were would always cut our neighbor's grass. She was she and her husband were like ninety nine and ninety seven, you know, and they they were like family. And one day there was let's just say I I grew up in uh, Southwest Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and a, a black gentleman was walking up the road next to the yard and he asked my father can you give me some water and my father dropped everything he was doing and went and got him water immediately and the guy said bless you and he walked on and just you know as a child and being taught several narratives of whiteness and white fragility and things I I I was like immediately afraid of this stranger Mm mm-hmm and I said, to, I asked my father, and it was a lesson that stayed with me ever since. I said, what, what made you go do that? And he said, well, I don't know what God looks like. Mm. Yeah. Totally changed my way of thought of just that moment. Um, and it sounds like a like Hallmark movie special or something like that, but it really happened. Um, well, I think what it gets at, Stephen, is this idea of expansiveness, right? I mean, what happens after Easter, at least in uh, usually the, the biblical stories, the trajectory that we follow is you get into the book of Acts. Um, and Acts was written several decades after Jesus died. And, and in the beginning, it talks about, you know, the Pentecost story, this day where the spirit came upon a hundred or so people who are in one room and just kind of literally blew the room apart, um, you know, shifted everything around and flipped everything upside down. And, and, you know, the words that were shared that day were from a prophet who said that God will come to all flesh. And, and the book of Acts just pushes that continually about 
who, who, how God shows up, you know, God shows up in an enslaved woman called Rhoda. God shows up in the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, and we know there was diversity in the eunuch community. We know that people, you know, bodies change their, you know, the shape of their body, the configuration of their body as an expression of their faithfulness to God. Um, I mean, so, and so there's this continued spirit in, in acts that just pushes and shoves and nudges what all flesh means. And it turns out all flesh means all flesh. <laughs> so your, your, your dad was really living into this really broad biblical vision of, um, uh, of, of who's your neighbor and, and his responsiveness to that trust and to that intuition. So, and he clearly taught you, um, right? I mean, you're telling the story today and, and, and what a simple act and, and what simple words or short words, I should say, but really, really powerful. Or, I mean, basically your dad's like, you know, God is black and that is really incredible. Mind blowing to a child, you know, a white child. Thank God. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that, you know, um, and this isn't broadly against um, all churches, but, you know, it's interesting in my journey, you know, you're taught as a child to sing Jesus loves the little children and all the colors. And then sort of as you mature into an, as an adult, that song does not really uh, hold much meaning you kind mm. of go into this world of like materialism and like do do, are, do you have the, the right job and it becomes a whole different like materialistic bureaucracy to live in America yeah. you want to like go back to Sunday school and stay there when you're five <laughs> yeah right I mean and that's how the that's how the faith you know not just Christianity but Christianity I'll speak to that Really, you know, that's, I mean, if you want to, I mean, that just gets where it gets co-opted with power, right? It gets co-opted by capitalism. It gets co-opted by patriotism, by nationalism, right? It, and, and this kind of intention that we've been talking about is, you know, this is why we worship every Sunday. This is why we put the proud banner up. This is why we wrap our railings in, in rainbow colors. This is why we say Black Lives Matter, right? These, these constant disciplines of bringing us back to the radical nature of the faith, the root, and you know we have to stay in these disciplines otherwise we're going to i mean we 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 get co-opted all the time but how how do we how do we do less harm um yeah because otherwise it's so alluring right in in the christian faith you call it idols right other things become you you create gods out of other things out of money right. out of status out of whiteness yeah so it's the constant it's the constant reflection work the grounding the rituals the public witness that layers upon layers to hold you accountable, really hold us accountable as a community. Or, or gods out of politicians. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which mm -hmm. we just witnessed. <laughs> I mean, to, to the point of insurrection. Right. I mean, that, yeah. I mean, January 6th was a day of, I mean, there is, a, there's a hashtag, what is it called? Um, oh, capital siege religion. Um, that really, I mean, there are many religious types who see that as, um, I mean, well, an insurrection, but also really trying to bring in a kingdom. That we're trying to bring in a kingdom that is, you know, based on white supremacy. Um, but absolutely, religion was at the base of that whole debacle. Oh my God. They were almost like, 
enraptured you know they yeah. were mm-hmm. they were they were acting in such a almost ecstasy of their yep. anger yep it was the most terrifying thing I've ever because it was the culmination of all of this building up to that yeah and yep. you know you've seen and this over and over with different cults I mean cults are diff- you, offer yeah different and when you governments. believe that God is driving you you know when you've convinced yourself of that you know, you're, you know, and you see there's different worldviews in the Bible. Um, there are some that are pretty horrifying. You know, there's some that are based on violence. Um, our job is to, you know, in the modern time right now is to is to discern, is to sift through what is the worldview that is most dominant in the Bible, which, you know, it, for us, it's we see that as love, inclusion and um, radical ways of living in community. And, you know, you got to you got to do that work. Otherwise, you know. Yeah, you see these worldviews just latch on just to um, these ancient biblical worldviews that, you know, that also created harm, but they see that as a justification. Right. You know, it's interesting in literature, if you have like ancient texts, um, a lot of the times some of those words are no longer in use, you know, Mm -hmm. or meant a different thing then than they do now, or the intention was different. so in, in, you know, the literary word we, world, we have different translations, we have different interpretations. Um, uh, people, you know, for example, like God, we, we wrote an ad- adaptation is the word I was searching for. Adaptation, uh, we wrote an ad- adaptation of the turn of the screw. Um, now, what that meant when it was written versus what would make sense to tell the story now are two different things. Yeah. And the Bible is the same kind of way. It is an ancient, ancient text mm-hmm. that's, that I feel like politically or in some ways, different people adapt to their own ideology or their own yeah. po- political bent or, but, but what, yeah, what's interesting about that is, is, is the, the reason behind the adaptation or change you know what is what is because some of it is harmful yeah um and can be weaponized and uh used to foster hate against you know many different types of people whether it's the immigrant community or the you know lgbtq plus community um so it's interesting that and and you know quite amazing that you uh find yourself as kind of a translator of what does this mean for us now everyone you know yeah what is the intention and then you know i think you're right i mean i like to see these biblical stories that i hold as sacred and truthful um i don't hold them literal i hold you know i see the image i like to use is their window into the past right people really trying to figure out their relationship with god um and you know, and that means that you look for you look for stories that speak to, you know, they're not the same experiences. I mean, if you, I mean, if you want to use like trans and non-binary experiences, you're not going to find literal experiences in the Bible about what it means to be trans and non-binary because those experiences were different in the ancient world than they are today in the modern world. It doesn't mean that we can't find experiences in biblical stories that that offer a connection, that offer um, um, you know, a, a way of, of experiencing and seeing God, right? Like you see all these people in the Bible that change their names, right? Sarai goes to Sarah, Abram goes to Abraham, Jacob goes to Israel. 
Um, Simon goes to Peter, Saul goes to Paul, right? There are numerous stories in the Bible of people train, changing their names because they had a struggle, they had a, they had, um, a confrontation, they had an, these incredible experiences that they found that the only way, one of the key ways to show their gratitude to God was by changing their names. Um, so it's not these this literal document, right? And it's not the same world. Um, but there are, you know, but we look at it as ways of how do these stories speak to us, and what are they? How are they telling us to live most most faithfully, right? Like, I mean, I think of the enslaved woman Hagar in the Book of Genesis. Like, she actually calls God. She calls God by a new by a new name. The first person in the Bible, an, an enslaved Egyptian woman. And she calls God El Roy, which means the God who sees me, right? And that that to me is just such a beautiful image of who God God is. That God God sees you, Stephen. God sees you, Matthew, as who as who you are, right? And so, um, yeah. So I think you know I I'm with you on the on the literature, um, Stephen, in in how you take these ancient stories. And how how do you make and, and and the work right? There's intentional work of what do they mean to us today? Yeah, and you know what? There is something else in uh, church that I think actually brings us all together in such a non-controversial way, and that is usually with the music of <laughs> the, the the sacred music is always something that. No matter if it's a funeral, a wedding, a, 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 just a normal church service or a holiday, there is just something so joyous in worshiping in with that music. Um, it's like, um, yeah, it's just like none other. Yeah, well, it's like theater, right? I mean, when you, I mean, here's a whole other podcast of the connection between worship and theater. Um, but it's this communal experience of telling a story. And and that sound and song is, a, is an essential way of, of doing that. And it gets to a part of us that words alone cannot do. Right. It just cannot do. Right. Um, and so, no, the music is absolutely crucial. It takes us back to the day. It brings us forward. Um, you can, re you know, it turns out you can reconfigure, you can adapt these um, ancient hymns, like you adapt plays and... Um, and that offers us a new experience of that of that time and that place, and, and it allows us that song to enter into our world and and to us. Um, so yeah, no, the music is the you know the you know that's what I mean. Our minister of music, Abby Madden, is is brilliant, and um, she can you know she plays the the classics, but she also you know does you know this idea that music builds community right like theater builds community music builds community that it's not just it's not just for the performance it's actually to do some it's actually build a collective and that's what i love so i think what this podcast has brought us is that me and steven need to write a musical that starts at your church about people who have changed their names that betters the community about being who you want to be what <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, you know, I, I've always been dream, dreaming of a play of the the three magi, right? An epiphany that bring myrrh and frankincense and gold to um, to the little boy, baby Jesus. And I'm like, that's got to be like a drag show. <laughs> like, that's gotta be... right. There's something to play with there. Like, I find that that there's a lot of there's a lot of imagination work that can happen there. So, yes, I, I we're in. Count us in. 
right? Who was she that brought the frankincense? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Glorious well, robes following the stars. They're astrologers. <laughs> I mean, there's so we, much there. <laughs> we, you know, I, I used to write and direct the pageants at my church for uh, Easter and Christmas. That's amazing. And... Uh, Along the way of my journey, I also sang in a gospel group for many, many year, uh, years. And I do now look back and realize that my spiritual journey and my theatrical journey have actually been kind of very similar in my love of the arts that was in both things. Yeah, that's really I love. I love the drama. I love the music. I love the storytelling. That's where I learned, you know, initially how to sort of stand on a stage and recite something. Yeah. Church does bring you that, those kind of like, I'm comfortable singing in front of other people. Um, it, oh my God, my, our Monday Thursday uh, service used to be my favorite thing. Cause I just thought it was so dramatic because the pastor would shut off uh, with each reading of the betrayal and everything. Yep. Another row of lights was shut off until we were all in the dark. Yes. And then uh, one single candle was lit and passed. And I just was like living for the drama in my, you know, young gay, you know, body, just sitting there going, oh my God, it's getting dark. The betrayal is near. Right? Um, I know. It's, I mean, that that's the stuff I, I mean, I mean, the story is horrifying. Um, and those elements that are, I mean, the lighting, the, the light, the, 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 right, the full body, the embodiment, right? That's who we are. We need all these things to tell a story, right? Just like how theater takes in all that. And, you know, that's how we look at worship, right? I mean, a little bit difficult in the virtual world. Um, but all those things, colors, you know, what are we touching? What are we smelling? What are we hearing? How, how is the story being told? Um, all those things matter. Um, in order to have that memory, Stephen, right, that... Um, of, that there's there's something in this for you and it's speaking to your inner person and how do we draw that inner person out right that inner so it actually connects with the external this external world um and that Which is, is why there are so many gay people in churches you know what i mean mm -hmm. involved mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well my my younger brother fell off the cross uh <laughs> during our easter service and um like, I haven't, like literally I haven't, for, I haven't forgiven him uh yet about that because it ruined the entire thing because his leather straps that were holding him up oh, there the you cross, go. <laughs> they, they broke and he fell off and i was like oh my gosh there goes the whole play but he climbed back up on the cross like a champ didn't he yeah he jumped right back on <laughs> it sounds like a that sounds like a pride a parade a, a float in the pride parade got bad like, right right i know the leather straps broke and everybody fell <laughs> Well, you know, we are supposed to be writing a Christmas show this this holiday, so we're going to have to take all these things together. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ashley, well, I'm looking at our clock here, and I realize we do not want to keep you from this beautiful Memorial Day, oh, but thank, thank you, you so much. We have three questions to ask you real quick. First of all, a lot of people learned a lot of things during the pandemic. Did you take on a new language or a new skill in the kitchen? Um, I think I, le I am um, a student of improv. I've taken numerous classes at the Washington Improv um, Theater. And I just think I relearned. I mean, yeah, I did learn new stuff. But I think what I, those improv skills, I just leaned on them more heavily than I've ever leaned on them in my life. So, oh, I love that. Yeah. 
Um, second of all, did you binge any movies, series on TV while having a little extra time? <laughs> yeah. Um, what did I watch? Shit. The crown. Um, um, damn it. What have I watched? Name something. Um, um, we watched uh, the the Queen's Gambit. Okay, watch the Crown. Was that that? Was that right now? I watched. Yeah, the latest season, of the Crown. I watched. Um, oh, Ted Lasso. That's hilarious. Oh, we haven't seen that. Everyone's talking about that. Oh, it's pretty funny. Um, well, I'm a big. F oh, um, I watched Winter Soldier. Um, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Watched WandaVision. Really like that. I really loved how Marvel tapped into grief. Um, and um. Those are the things at the top of my head. That's great. Yeah. And now Stephen's going to wrap this up with one last question. Great. Okay. So, so Matt is producing uh, our friend Susan Derry's holiday album, and it's called I Wish It So. Uh-huh. And it, it's got us really kind of talking about what a wish really is and the power of a wish. Mm. Um, and so we've been asking all of our guests, We I made this wish box thing, and I keep dec changing the decoration of it because I believe that the power of the wish of each additional guest that we have kind of changes the box a little. Mm -hmm. And I actually, another guest of ours, Sushmita Mazumdar, who's an artist in Arlington County. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have like an unveiling of the wishes of the yeah. wish box event at Studio Pause, her studio. Yes, yes been there, um, yeah and pair it with the kind of like album release, uh, the holiday album. So I'm there. This, this is, yeah, this is gonna, we're gonna invite all our guests, you know, who can make it uh, to the event. But this is uh, the thing that we've been asking, if, if you had one wish, whether it be for yourself, your family, the country, the world, the first thing that pops into your mind, what would that wish be? Yeah, well, Gilliam Place, um, we see Gilliam Place as an ecosystem that when one of us hurts, the rest of us are hurting. And when the rest of someone's rejoicing, the rest of us rejoice. So I guess that's my wish, especially living through this pandemic, um, is that we see ourselves as an ecosystem. That's my wish, that we live as if we are an ecosystem. That's beautiful. Um, that's, that's how I see Gilliam Place as well. It's, it's an amazing building. And there's so much there to be proud of as a congregation, yeah. as a building. And mm -hmm. it really, it gives me like warm fuzzies every time I think of Gilliam Place. Aww. So thank, thank you, you very much for giving up some of this beautiful, beautiful afternoon on a holiday um, to be with us. We really appreciate that. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Well, we will talk to you soon. All, All right. right. All right, bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Happy Pride, y'all. So thankful to Ashley Goff for joining us. We love that discussion. Thank you, Ashley. It was really amazing, and I love Gilliam Place, that building. I love your church. I love everything that it stands for. I'm proud of you. Um, so we're going to continue the Pride podcast going on through June, and uh, we're really happy that you have joined us here. If you want to learn more about us, please 
please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an E-R. Um, follow us on Facebook, Connor and Smith. Um, we're really hopeful that you will rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. It would help us out a lot. Um, and in the meantime, as we always say, turn, turn your, your heart, heart into art. art. Good night, everybody. Happy Friday.